Hey, 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 welcome to another edition of the Neil World Order Podcast. Well, it is a, it's officially fall. Um, we actually had great weather here this week. Um, almost a little cold today. I think it was like high 50s. It's actually raining now. I don't, it wasn't in the forecast, but it's raining and I thought I saw some lightning. But uh, it's been a great week as far as temperatures. Looks like next week is going to be great as well. Um, you know, so maybe we won't see anything really cold for a while, but it is the Midwest, so I won't hold my breath. Um, Sunday, last Sunday night started out pretty great with the uh, Packers beating the Bears, which, I mean, beating the Bears is kind of a given, it seems like. Um, but I, you know, I look at that game and I'm like, okay, we could have, we still could have lost it. And I think there's a lot, we have a lot more problems than we do successes. Um, and then even with injuries this week, um, Packers, I mean, our, our wide receiving crew is ass at best. And then we just put Sammy Watkins on injured reserve, meaning it was inevitable because that's what Sammy Watkins does. He gets hurt. I uh, just thought maybe we'd get eight games in before it happened, not two or three. Where are we at? No, this is his third week. I, I don't know. But uh, we play the Buccaneers tomorrow, which I have a feeling they're going to kick the shit out of us. Uh, they're a little banged up, too. Uh, Mike Evans is suspended. Uh, their star receiver. But I honestly don't expect it to be a pretty game. I think both teams are, are not playing that great. I mean, I know they're 2-0, and but, I mean, they played Dallas and they played Jameis Winston and the Saints, so... You know, I think we're in trouble. I think uh, it's not going to be the Packers season we all dreamed and envisioned. And maybe that's just me being pessimistic, but I'm just trying to be real. However, my Tennessee Volunteers, uh, I fully expected to beat Florida today. Um, you know, I have some friends that are Florida fans, and they, they, get, they get real salty when they lose Um you know, and think all oh, the Tennessee fans talk to and some some of them do. Um, this was easily our year to win, which there was another game we could have easily lost there. Uh, I think that was the first time I've ever seen an onside kick where the defender actually like grabbed the ball out of the air, and I, I didn't know they couldn't advance it. Uh, it seems like the rules are always changing, or maybe that's always been the rule, and I just didn't know. But uh, that game could have easily went the other way. Some weird calls or. Um, you know, Florida's coach going for two a couple times when they could have just, um, if they'd have kicked extra points then that last possession, then they would have just been looking at a field goal to tie, but, you know, whatever. Strange thing, I did not know that Florida's coach was actually from Cookville, Tennessee. But, yeah, University of Tennessee 4-0. and We have a week off, and then I believe we head to LSU, which... I think that's a winnable game. Uh, I think LSU, I mean, Brian Kelly's a shitty coach. Um, LSU is kind of a program trying to, they're they're not, they're not the LSU they were a few years ago with Joe Burrow and uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Uh, This is a, I couldn't name three players on their team. I don't even think I can name one actually, but um, so hopefully Tennessee goes down there and has a good showing. Uh, based on uh, what I saw going on tonight, uh, it looked like Oklahoma possibly was going to lose. Um, Arkansas lost. So Tennessee has the potential to creep into the top 10. It may just be number 10, 
But um, that's kind of cool. I mean, I don't think we're a threat to the Alabamas, the Georgias, um, those teams, maybe even the Ohio States. But, um, you know, it's a lot better than it was. You know, I feel like Josh Heupel has been the right hire. I mean, it only took us, I don't know how many bad coaches we go through, uh, Lane, Dooley, uh, Butch, and Pruitt, so four or five bad coaches, and now we have uh, our guy, and I believe they just added a year to him, so hopefully nobody else tries to take him. Maybe he's found a... Only place I could see him maybe going is if... Uh, Brent Venables doesn't work out in Oklahoma. Josh Heupel played at Oklahoma. But I thought he was already considered for that job last when it opened, when Lincoln Riley left and turned it down. But I, I could be wrong. So who knows? But yeah, you know, Rocky Top is back. It's awesome. Um, if I had to pick, I'd rather have a Tennessee National Championship than a Packers Super Bowl. That's just me. Um, I'm not that I think Tennessee is going to win the national championship. Uh, I just think we have some great players. I think um, we're peaking when some of the other teams that usually beat up on us are down. I mean, it's a down year for Florida. I think Billy Napier was a bad hire, and he's going to end up out of there just like the last couple guys. But, um, yeah, that's my little football recap. And like I said, uh, phew. Not the I think the Packers and Buccaneers are like the late game. They or they play like at three twenty five, or whatever. But anyways, so the other night, um, I was I don't know. I was scrolling around through the channels. Usually about nine p.m. Kylie she'll stay downstairs, but she's tired and doesn't really care what's on TV at that point because she's gonna fall asleep. So I was just scrolling looking for something to watch because I wasn't ready to go to bed, and I saw the Mothman sightings on the Travel Channel and. Obviously, I had to watch it, um, and I'm not. I'm not sure if I've ever talked about uh, this at length, the Mothman phenomena at length before on here. I feel like I've mentioned it, uh, but if I have uh, in the past, oh well, I guess I'm doing it again. Um, so the Mothman, for those of you who don't know, um, this is like a real story. I'm not just spinning BS. Uh, originates in uh, West Virginia, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, I believe the first sighting was in November of 1966. Uh, the creature was described as like this humanoid man-sized bird that was black with bright red eyes. Um, the encounter happened, the first encounter happened just outside Point Pleasant uh, in a part of town. It was a, a highway in a part of town known as the TNT area, which is like, a, um, it's an old World War II mun ammunitions plant where they worked on nuclear, I believe they worked on the atomic bomb and some other things relevant to that. Um, there were two couples in the car. They described this ominous flying object with bright red eyes. They said it was following their car above, and they described it as having about like a 10-foot wingspan. Um, over the course of the next few days, several others reported uh, similar sightings, um, Two volunteer firefighters were called seeing what they referred to as a giant bird with uh, big red eyes. The, um, the local sheriff, you know, at the time, tried to explain the sightings as being a large heron uh, that he referred to as, this, this is literally what his quote was, as a shit poke. 
Maybe I'm saying that wrong, but that's literally how it's spelled. And that when lights were shined upon the large bird, its eyes would glow red like bicycle reflectors. Um, other citizens would blame the creature, uh, you know, over the course of things from missing pets to TV interference, telephone issues, radio, radio issues and interference. Um, eventually, they brought in a wildlife biologist from uh, West Virginia University in Morgantown. His name was Robert uh, L. Smith, not the guy from The Cure. Um, he was brought in, and he gave the opinion based on interviews and the descriptions of what people saw that it was more than likely a large sandhill crane. Uh, they can be as tall as a man. Uh, it has a seven-foot wingspan, as well as it has this reddish coloring around its eyes. And he had added that it had possibly wandered off its typical migration route and that because it wasn't common to people in that region, they might suspect it for something else. Um, I'll admit this was the first time I'd ever come across the Sandhill Crane explanation. So I, I looked into Sandhill Cranes. You know, I started Googling it. And uh, when you first Google them, I'm like, okay, it, it looks like a fucking bird, you know. Um, and I'm like, that's that's not what people are describing. And I was like, it doesn't look like any of, like, the illustrations and newspaper things that, uh, you know, are online if you do some reading on it. And I, I was, I was kind of quick to write it off. You know, and then I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? Most of these sightings are at night. So I was like, I'm going to take this a step further, further and see if I find anything. So what I did, I Googled Sandhill, Sandhill Crane at night. And I'm not going to fucking lie. I was like, okay, this picture is creepy as fuck. And it honestly looks a lot like what people were describing. And I'm not saying that the Mothman phenomena comes down to a Sandhill Crane. But I could easily see the eerie similarity in what people were describing and what a Sandhill Crane flying at night with light shined upon it or when a photograph is taken of it. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's like, whoa, okay. Um, you know, but like I said, on the ground where there have been sightings of people say they see it on the ground, there's nothing creepy about the crane on the ground. It literally just looks like your run of the mill crane. Um, adding more to kind of the lore of the Mothman was, uh, the tragedy on December 15th, 1967, when the silver bridge collapsed and killed, uh, 46 people. Uh, the bridge collapsed into the half frozen Ohio river, which separates Ohio and West Virginia. Debris fell onto the cars as they were crossing. Um, locals had thought perhaps the Mothman was a warning of the tragedy. Some even thought perhaps the Mothman was responsible. Some people had reported seeing the Mothman on or near the bridge in the days and weeks before the accident. Um, ultimately, the Army Corps of Engineers was able to determine that the collapse was due to faulty a faulty construction eye bar that unfortunately, I guess, based on the design and construction of the bridge was a collapse was inevitable based on their findings. And uh, but to this day, the Silver Bridge collapse is the deadliest bridge collapse in U.S. history. Honestly, besides this one in uh, Minneapolis, I don't know what, 10 years ago are the only ones that I personally, you know, can even think of. Sorry, I'm drinking. The Mothman uh, was then introduced to a much wider population than the folks of just Pleasant Prairie, West Virginia, and the surrounding areas in 1975 in the book The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. 
The book uh, was ultimately Keel's account of his own investigation into the sightings in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Um, in the book, Keel describes getting strange phone calls, uh, tales of mutilated pets from uh, people he was interviewing, uh, and then ultimately his story culminates with the collapse of Silver Bridge. Um, a lot of you probably have heard or saw, seen, whatever. In 2002, that book would be adapted into a film, uh, the same title, starring Richard Gere, Will Patton, and uh, Laura Linney actually played like the local sheriff or whatever. She's Wendy from Ozark. Um, another interesting, the movie was actually cool. This is, that was my first introduction to the Mothman, um, was the movie. And I was just like, what? You know, it started, it wasn't something when I saw it, I didn't think this is what it was going to be. I just thought it was like some drama or whatever. One night I was watching it. Um, John Keel is often, uh, credited as being the person who coined the term men in black as well. Thought that was interesting. A year after the film, uh, was released, a large statue slash sculpture of Mothman was dedicated in downtown Point Pleasant, which uh, it was originally to the chagrin of the mayor and the townsfolk. A lot of the people, like, they didn't want to be known for that. You know, I, I think in a lot of ways maybe they thought the outside world was laughing at them or it was kind of like tongue-in-cheek, you know, and kind of silly. Um, a lot, I watched a documentary the other day and... Uh, one of the, I believe he was a chamber of commerce person, a welcome, you know, a welcome person. He was with the documentarian. And he was saying originally, you know, he didn't believe in any of this. It was just silly and dumb, you know. And then they saw the draw that Mothman was for their town and, like, what that lore and urban legend brought to the town. Like, years, there's a Mothman festival would start, like, some years later uh, after 2002. Um the festival brings in about 10,000 to 14,000 visitors to the town. The, it's the third weekend of September uh, each year, which means it was like last weekend. I checked on their Facebook page, and it brings in like paranormal enthusiasts from all over the world. They descend on Point Pleasant. Per the uh, town's website and stuff, They it brings in an, pumps an average of $2 million into the local economy. So it's, it's clearly good business, you know, whether it's silly, it's whatever, um, you know, in the, during the weekend they have costume contests, there's, they sell memorabilia, guest speakers, um, they bring in experts as well as witnesses giving accounts of their experience with the Mothman, um, the, the guy in the documentary saying, yeah, during that weekend, everyone in town has a story to tell about the Mothman. So I, I think it kind of just adds, you know, the people embrace it now. Um, and, and that's kind of cool, but, um, yeah, you know, and I look, I looked into it and, um, it actually seems like a well put together event. Uh, I talked to my daughter about it. Uh, we're actually going to try to attend next year. Um, since obviously we just missed it this year. Funny thing about like the whole moth, the whole Mothman thing is kind of an inside joke in our house. So when I watched the movie some years ago, not one of my be better parenting moments, I guess Chloe was in the room playing in the floor, or maybe she was sitting on the couch, and I maybe I thought she was asleep. And she said the movie gave her nightmares. It scared the crap out of her. It wasn't really scary. It was just weird. I think it was just these random images they would show of what was like the Mothman. And um, 
But she, yeah, she said it always gave her nightmares. And so as she got older, it's always been something I kind of ribbed her about, um, you know, just randomly f- around Halloween or when it, it would be on TV. Uh, even when I saw the, scrolling and saw the documentary, I took a screenshot of the guide and sent it to her and asked her if she wanted to come over and watch TV. <laughs> For her birthday this year, uh, I went on Amazon and I got her a stuffed plush Mothman that... My wife and I would randomly move around her room when she wasn't there just to kind of mess with her. I think she actually hid it in the closet now. But uh, she said she'd go. She said, she, I think her exact words were like, okay, I'm probably going to have nightmares, but what the hell, I'll go to West Virginia. Um, so there's even a, a Mothman Museum in Pleasant Prairie. It's owned and operated by uh, Jeff Wamsley, um, He's kind of like the go-to guy on Mothman stories, um, I guess, history, so to speak. Um, the museum, it's, it's located right in, town, right in downtown, right across from the Mothman statue. Uh, he said it attracts tons of visitors each year. He's got a collection of like historic memorabilia from uh, newspaper clippings, uh, articles, um, you know, pieces of cars that supposedly the Mothman scratched. Uh, a lot of props from the Mothman Prophecies films um, were donated to him. Um, all things Mothman. You know, Jeff and his museum, they've been featured on tons of shows. Uh, you can find them everywhere on YouTube. He seems like a pretty cool guy. Um, I'm hoping when we go, maybe we can talk to him, have him on the show. And... Um, yeah, so, you know, like I said, he's the go-to historical expert on all things Mothman in Point Pleasant. It's just a thing with me. Like, I find all this very fascinating. Uh, I think I always had a an intrigue in, like, paranormal things and strange things, which is weird because, like, I hate horror movies. Like, I don't, I, did, I know I talk about it all the time. Like, I literally can't tell you the last horror movie I sat and watched. Like, I, I, I just don't watch them. I don't watch... Like, I'll watch serial killer things. I'll watch murder shows. Um, I actually am interested to watch the new uh, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, show on Netflix, which actually is getting uh, pretty good reviews. You know, it, it's kind of morbid in a way, too, though. It's almost like we glorify these people when we make shows. And it, it's totally hypocritical of me to say that because I'm totally going to watch it. But, um, you know... I don't know why we maybe we find these things fascinating because the people are like so different than we are so we want to be inside their heads that was kind of I think the thing I liked about Mindhunter on Netflix was you know they're interviewing the serial killers and it's kind of like the introduction of like the whole BAU thing kind of on criminal minds which I find that which is ultimately I believe it's forensic psychology is what it is and it's it's fascinating if I was smart I'd have went to school for that and done that and I think I'd I'd have been way happier. But yeah, so, you know, as I watched a bunch of <clears throat> documentaries this week on the Mothman, just kind of researching this. And um, there was even one in these, one of the documentaries where they talked about maybe it was a mutated crane just because that government munitions plant had dumped pollutants into the water. Um, you know, the plant ceased operations after the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Um, so there's like these ruins, so to speak, 
um, from the, the plant base, whatever you want to call it, they still exist. And I believe the land is now part of a, a wildlife preserve. Um, and one of the other interesting things is the, the preserve is actually home to a large number of uh, barred owls, which obviously, like most owls, they're nocturnal. But uh, barred owls are known to be territorial aggressive and have at times chased and attacked humans. Um, while some believe some believe this could even be the creature that many are seeing and have interacted with, you know, in a scary fashion. Um, you know, like most birds, the owl's eyes illuminate red. Um, the one of the bigger issues, though, it only comes. It's only about two feet in size. You know, now from a distance flying, it could appear large and, you know, maybe some of these people throw in some weed, a little alcohol, or even just the mass hysteria of, you know, multiple sightings and events, because that's what happens. Like if, you know, like even here with the whole Bray road beast werewolf phenomena, I would say some of the sightings, you know, might have been legit where everything else was just people thought they saw something because they thought there was something to see. Um but yeah, you know, so it's hard to say. Maybe some of those sightings were simply a few aggressive owls, you know, maybe sandhill cranes. It's totally speculation on my part. Um, another interesting thing is, and most most recently, Mothman sightings, or what has been described to look just similar to what the Mothman is, uh, were in Chicago in 2017-2018. Um, I find it interesting the Mothman went there. I'm assuming we haven't seen him since then, he or she, I guess, because he either left or got murdered since it was Chicago. But, um, yeah, that's your rundown on the Mothman. Like I said, I, I, I think it's really cool. I think paranormal stuff is cool. Ghosts. I know we did a little bit on ghosts uh, some episodes back and energy and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I've always found... That kind of stuff, very interesting. Like I said, I'm not a horror guy. You know, maybe it's as we get closer to Halloween, we'll explore some maybe darker serial killer tales or talk about the unknown crazy ass people that are out there we've never heard of. I remember seeing an interview some years ago where they were talking to an FBI, totally switching gears into serial killers. Where they were like, you know, who's probably the most prolific or the most dangerous? And he's like, we don't know who it is because they're still out there and we don't even know they are. And I was like, wow, that's kind of fucked up to think that maybe there's somebody out there that's so good that, you know, people don't even know they're doing it. And then the, that could have been over the course of history that there's been multiple people like that. I mean, if you even look at BTK, went on for years and ultimately wanted to get caught, so he got caught. But yeah, so check out the Mothman uh, Prophecies movie if you've never seen it. Read the book if you like to read. Um, or just go on Travel Channel and look up Mothman Sightings. I believe that was the name of the documentary. It's kind of neat. It's fascinating. I mean, it's not your typical thing, you know. And they do, they've do they done tons of shows on it, like on Monster Quest or American Mysteries or whatever those you know shows are where they all deal with like urban legends and so on and so forth. Switching gears, um, tonight's musical journey, pun intended, um, we're going to talk about what I think is easily one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time, period. 
Uh, I don't care who you are. You love their music. You know the words to their songs. And that's Journey. Uh, Journey was formed in San Francisco in 1973 by Neil Sean, Greg Raleigh, Ross Valerie, George Tickner, and Prairie Prince. I did not know this, but Greg Raleigh was the original lead singer. I literally had no idea. Uh, the band would use Raleigh for about three years before hiring Steve Perry in October of 1977. And that's kind of when they started to soar. I think that's when they got their record deal. Um, you know, later that year, their single Love and Touch and Squeeze In would reach number 16 on the Billboard Top 100. Uh, ultimately, that would be their first hit. In 1980, the band would release uh, Escape, which went to number one, uh, catapulted them into superstardom. Obviously, you know, it had the iconic songs, Who's Crying Now, Open Arms, Don't Stop Believing. Um, they'd spend the next two years headlining tours all across the country, filling, uh, the country, the world, filling stadiums. And it's kind of what is that genre of music in that time is often to what is referred to as the uh, arena rock area of music. Um, in 1983, Journey would release Frontiers, um, equally an amazing album like Escape. I actually have a vinyl copy of Frontiers. Um, had Separate Ways, Send Her My Love, Faithfully. It would go on to sell 6 million copies, making it their second best-selling album. Behind Escape, I believe Escape sold 10 million, uh, which back then is a lot of albums. You know, nobody sells physical copies really of anything now because it's all streams and downloads and, you know, sometimes they don't even make a dime for it. But um, after touring in support of the album, Journey would take a little time off. Uh, at this point, there was talk. A lot of people thought that the band was burnt out or that they were breaking up. Um, Steve Perry and guitarist founding member Neil Sean both worked on some solo projects. They returned to the studio in 1985 with uh, Steve Perry actually producing the album. But uh, tensions began to rise. Uh, I believe Steve Perry fired the bassist, the drummer, and this blew my mind. And I guess... I, did, I didn't know this. A lot of people I talked to about, oh, yeah, I knew that. Randy Jackson of American Idol fame came in to be a bassist with Journey on uh, studio recordings. Uh, he actually toured with them as well. Uh, he split time with another guy. I, I forgot his name. But um, they released that album, Raised on Radio, in May of 86. Uh, it had Girl Can't Help It, Be Good to Yourself, I'll Be All Right Without You. Uh, they then went on a huge, grueling tour, tour in support of the album. Uh, you know, as that tour was ending, Steve Perry had said I, he needed a break. He had said he felt the, sh the constant shows were starting to affect his voice and, you know, his voice health and his health in general. Perry would tell members of the band on a phone call, that, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in the band. I, I want to get out. I want to stop. Um, you know, where this caught a lot of the band members off guard. Uh, they came to the kind of the consensus, and Perry went along with it, that, hey, we're just going to take some time off and see what happens, and that we'll eventually come back together. Uh, during their kind of hiatus, Columbia Records would release uh, Journey's Greatest Hits album. Um, 
which would go on to be uh, one of the top-selling greatest hits albums of all time. I believe it's still in the Billboard Top 200. Um, they would come back together in October of 95 um, under a new, new band manager. This was at Perry's request. Um, they would work on, they would record the album Trial by Fire, which had, it had moderate success. Uh, it was nominated for a Grammy, but uh, eventually came the time where the band needed to go out and tour in support of the album. And this kind of, you know, wasn't what Perry wanted to do. Perry eventually would just announce his retirement from the music business altogether, and the band began the quest of finding a new lead vocalist. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, Steve Aguirre would be the lead singer of Journey from 1998 to 2006. Um, he would leave the band... <laughs> strangely due to issues with his voice and essentially his voice gave out uh he would be replaced by jeff scott soto uh soto was with the band for a very short stint and they mutually appeared agreed to separate to go separate ways pun intended in 2007 um and to then and later in 2007 they found their guy um the band would hire arnell panada uh, who was actually performing with a cover band at the time. Uh, Sean had heard him and his band sing uh, a cover of Faithfully, and he was like 100% sold on Arnell's voice talent and just, you know, his ability to sing and thought it was a great fit. You know, he doesn't sound a lot like Steve Perry, but he has the type of voice quality that, you know, when you th I think about Van Halen, how there was so they were almost like two different bands with David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar. Both are good, but they're in the different ways. Um, Arnell coming in, you know, and I listened to a lot of the live performances and stuff because I wasn't super, you know, I'm very loyal to Steve Perry stuff. I love Steve Perry's voice. I think Steve Perry's like, you know, you could almost put him on a Mount Rushmore of rock and roll singers. He's just that unique. But, um, <clears throat> you know, so maybe I wasn't trying to give Arnell a chance or I just didn't want the songs to be ruined. You know, but um, Arnell's voice is amazing. He's great. Uh, you know, I, I feel like he tries to, he doesn't try to copy Steve. He puts his twist on the song, but it's still loyal to what the song is. Uh, you know, and the band saw increased interest in around 2007 when uh, Don't Stop Believing was featured in the series finale of The Sopranos, which is one of the most watched uh, series finales of all time, um, you know, that kind of interest and downloads and streaming and people being interested in the band kind of got them back in the studio. They recorded their first album with Arnell uh, titled Revelation. Um, you know, I believe they've been release, releasing a few albums ever since Arnell is still with the band. Uh, in 2017, um, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, with Steve Perry. Um, and although Perry did not join the band for the uh, performance that bands always do after they're inducted, uh, there's no ill feelings between Perry and the band. And Perry's often spoke very highly of Arnell's talent and what the band has done with Arnell. Um, Neil Sean actually hinted and has hinted for years that there could eventually be a reunion tour with Perry to celebrate 50 years of journey which is kind of crazy when you think about that, that that's, you know, I was, when you think about some of the 80s music and stuff like that, that it's like that old, which means I'm that old. 
But I, I honestly cannot imagine how huge a reunion tour with Steve Perry could be if Steve Perry can still perform, you know. If he sounds like what Vince Neil sounds like with Motley Crue now, I don't know if you've seen the TikToks or the YouTube's videos where it's just like, you know, and I loved Motley Crue, but I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, hang it up. Um, <clears throat> you know, he just didn't take care of himself. But I will be there if Steve Perry is going to is gonna reunite with Journey. Uh, like I said, I think his vocals are rock and roll royalty. And, you know, I also think in a lot of conversations, Journey doesn't get the credit they deserve. Like, they have so many hits. They're still selling out worldwide today. Um, you know, and, I mean, we all know the words to their songs. We We turn up their music. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And I don't know if it just kind of gets lost in that whole shuffle of the eighties thing or whatever, but like, I love journey. I think journey is amazing. I think anyone who hasn't listened to enough journey, if you listen to journey, you will love them. Uh, so I guess let's kind of hope this reunion happens, you know, no, you know, and, um, also, um, I reached out to Steve Perry. Uh, he formally apologized for his solo release, Oh Sherry. So, Steve, all is forgiven. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that song. It's often referred to as one of the worst songs of all time, with like uh, We Built This City by Starship. That's all I got this week, folks. Um, hope you enjoyed the trip, the ride, the Mothman, some Journey. Um... Yeah, the ba oh the basement. Um, I was very fortunate to have the uh, help of my father in law this weekend, and we got uh, pretty much a lot of the structural stuff up. I got all my electricity. I added and power run uh, for things I want to do. I pretty much just added a bunch of outlets uh, because I'm gonna be moving things around. The podcast is kind of areas completely in flux, like right now. Like I had to clean room to set the Mac down on this table to do it. Um, so awaiting my, uh, dry fall paint, which will be used to paint the, uh, exposed ceiling. And then after that, it's, uh, putting the barn wood up on the walls. I got some more barn wood this week. Uh, my father-in-law kicked ass and power washed it for me. So I did not have to do it. Um, so, so far so good. Uh, it's going to be a while before I post pictures cause it still looks like, uh, Hurricane Katrina down here, but, uh, it will once it's all done and the sh the shelves are done behind the bar should be a pretty cool place the southern comfort zone will kind of come to life and uh it'll be the the man cave i've always wanted so i'm really excited for that uh shout out to luke for letting me borrow his hammer drill this weekend but um that's all i got folks uh, as always check out the merch shop uh hit me up on social media Show suggestions, comments, concerns, uh, neilworldpodcast at gmail.com. It's been a while since I've heard from anyone. Uh, downloads are still amazing. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm very blessed to have all these listeners every week. Uh, so hope everyone has a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.